0: This is the Straight Truth Podcast. Biblical answers to difficult questions from a Christian worldview. Well Paul says in Ephesians 5 to, it's an exhortation, not, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think a lot of us really strongly desire <laughs> to know what the will of the Lord is. This is probably more intense at certain times of life than it is at others. Like for instance, right coming right out of high school, not really knowing what to do with your life, you, you don't want to make the wrong decision. And so you praying and asking God to show his will to you, or maybe you're wanting to know if you should marry that girl or marry that guy. You know, what is the will of the Lord in here? And you wish God would just strike lightning on this situation or maybe overturn this rock for me. And then there it is. Hmm. But that obviously is not the way the Lord has ordained it in his word. How do you, when somebody comes to you and says, I, I want to know what God's will is for my life right now, maybe a situation or maybe just generally, Mm. How do you counsel them? What do you say? How, how do I understand what the will of the Lord is?
1: I wanna encourage them um, concerning what I imagine is going on in their heart. Uh, I think most of the time the people asking this, uh, their heart is in a good place. I mean, they, they want to honor God. That's, that's why they ask this. But that fear of doing something wrong, you know, paralyzes them mm-hmm. and immobilizes them. They, they, they don't know, they don't take action. In some cases when they should, because they're afraid of, the, of taking the wrong action. Mm-hmm. So I just wanna remind them that um, the will of God is determined by knowing the word of God. Mm. So what I mean by that is that uh, God's will is, is set forth in his word. The application of that word to our individual situations and decisions is either clear based upon what scripture says or it's going to be a matter of discernment based on the principles found in the statements God has given us. So for example, marriage. Should I marry this person, right? What you're not gonna get from scripture is, you should marry Sally. It's just not gonna be there. What you can find in scripture is, you should marry a believer. Mm -hmm. Um, You must, you Mm -hmm. have no other option. Think about 1 Corinthians seven, where widows are told they can marry anyone they want but only in the Lord. Mm -hmm. So as a believer, I'm not to be married to an an unbeliever, unequally yoked. I know that for sure. So don't be paralyzed uh, in areas where you want specific information when God hasn't given you specific information and won't give you specific information. He's given you the general principles by which you have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So, trust in the Lord, don't lean on your own understanding, that means uh, navigate these decisions in, in light of the truth of God's word. And just trust that um, you'll be pleasing to Him and, and He'll direct your paths. Mm-hmm. Um, some verses of scripture that weigh in on this question. So I think about the will of God. For example, Romans twelve two. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says, discernment is developed as I take God's word and then apply it to the decisions I'm making. These principles I've just talked about. As I do that, I grow in discernment. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So I can Mm -hmm. know for sure that Mm -hmm. God's will for me is to grow in the Christian faith and to not commit sexual sin. Mm -hmm. I can know that for certain. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So I know for sure God wants me to live a thankful life, take note of his blessings. Mm -hmm. First Peter 2.15 says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So as I live the... Christian life in in obedience to God. Uh, He's gonna use me to actually uh, adorn the gospel to be a good testimony for Christ. I can know that for sure. A common thing I say to people is this, if you know you're submitted to the Lordship of Christ, submitted to the authority of scripture, you're delighting yourself in the Lord, His word tells you, He's gonna give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean you get things that don't please Him, but if, you're, if your heart is submitted to God, your heart's gonna begin to be desiring the things that please God. And so if I can say with a clear conscience, what I'm, a, what I'm desiring to do doesn't violate scripture, I'm submitted to God, submitted to his word, I say to people, do what you want to do. Is Sally a believer? Is there anything about this relationship that would violate the will of God? According to scripture, no. Well, do you want to marry her? Yeah, well then do. I mean, go, go for it, right? You're free to pursue that. But what if there's another girl out here somewhere that in the world that would be a better fit for me? You're never gonna have that kind of specific knowledge. I don't even think that's how the will of God operates in someone's life. Mm-hmm. You can marry anyone you want, First Corinthians 7, only in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So if you desire to spend the rest of your life with this person, knowing what marriage is, mm-hmm. one man, one woman for a lifetime, mm-hmm. Take this to heart, what you're about to enter into. But if this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, and this person's a believer, do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're free to be married, of course. Yeah. So there are other, other things to talk about there. Yeah, don't be paralyzed mm-hmm. by what you don't know. Walk in the light of what you do know. So that, that passage you quote in Psalm 37,
0: delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you desire of your heart, commit your way into Him, trust in Him, and He will act. That's kind of the end of the matter. Absolutely. <laughs> what you're saying, so don't, Focus in on that at the beginning. Do what the, what the Lord has instructed us to do. What is His will? And then at the end of the matter, is if your way is committed to Him and you're delighting yourself in the Lord,
1: then the desires that you have, you can trust. Them you can trust. You can God trust, himself. absolutely. Get good counsel. That's good. I think this is a part of walking in the will of God. Talk to people who know you well, mm-hmm. who love you, uh, who love God and, love, and know His word. So you're getting wise counsel outside your own uh, mind. I think that's helpful. Especially when you do talk about things like marriage and relationships. And mm-hmm. you know, your parents know you pretty well, your friends know you, if they're Christian friends, they know you pretty well. It's good to ask them, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. So counsel is an important part of it. Okay, that's great.
0: Pastor Richard, how do you reconcile scripture saying that the heart is deceitful above all things? That's Jeremiah 17, 9 and yet that the Lord will give us the desires of your heart, Psalm 37, verse four. And this questioner specifically says, I ask this question because sometimes I don't know what God's will is for my life when I have multiple good, but opposite desires.
1: Well, the heart of man is deceitful above all things, but we do need to remember that salvation involves a heart change. We were all born into this world with desperately wicked hearts. Mm -hmm but thanks be to God that when he saved us, he took away the heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. He changed our hearts so that now we have the capacity to love God, to love his word, to walk in truth. So that's one thing that I would remind myself of is I'm not a lost man. I mean, if I know Christ, I'm not a lost man. I have the capacity now to honor God in my inner being. Then Psalm 37, four says that God gives us the desires of our hearts, but it's preceded by the statement, delight yourself in the Lord. Mm -hmm. So it is the heart that's delighting itself in God that then uh, sees its desires fulfilled. So when I delight myself in the Lord, God is pleased to to fill my heart with good things, um, good desires, things that I should desire. Those are the desires that He fulfills. So Psalm 37-4 isn't teaching me whatever you want, God is going to give you. Rather, it's teaching me that when I can get my heart into a place that it agrees with truth, it agrees with scripture, it agrees with God, then God is pleased to fulfill the desires that he's given. So God fulfills the desires that he's the author of. So what I've got to strive for is that, Lord, help me, you know, unite my heart to fear your name. Mm -hmm. Uh, help me be in the place where what I want is what you want what I desire is what you desire so that then you can give me the very things that would most please you mm-hmm. that's that's what i'm striving for so
0: what about the person who has you know a, a decision before them and they 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 have two they have two desires mm-hmm. but they have to make one yeah what 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 do they how do they assess the situation from psalm 34 commit your way to the lord he will give you the desires of your
1: heart what? yeah you, you you begin always with Scripture, of course, and I just ask, okay, this decision I'm making, does the Bible give me principles by which I can make the best decision? Does it make any clear statements that would just settle the decision, right? I mean, there, it identifies one pathway as sin and another pathway as righteousness. Well, then the decision is easy. But absent that, then I ask, what principles does the Bible give me by which I can make this decision? Some of those principles will involve things like good sound counsel. So let me go talk to people more mature than I am in the faith or or people that are mature in the faith that I can uh, get their guidance. What about the church's leadership? I mean, elders are called to shepherd. So am I allowing the elders to, to shepherd me? Uh, am I allowing them to help me with these decisions? I, you and know, I have talked about this before, Josh, how frustrating it can be as a pastor to have someone ask for advice after they've made the decision. So the decision's Mm -hmm. already been made. Mm -hmm. They're already headed in a particular direction. And then they come and wanna know, what do you think about this? Well, I wish you would have asked me that before the decision was Mm -hmm. made. I mean, that happens often. So the Word of God, principles from the Word, so clear statements from Scripture that would settle the decision, absent that, principles that would help me make this decision, good, sound, mature counselors. My pastors, what what do they say about the situation? Everything being equal, the Bible doesn't forbid a particular course that I want to take. I can't see where, where it would be unhealthy for me spiritually. I tell people, you can do what you want to do. I mean, if you're not sinning and you know you're delighting yourself in the Lord and all you want is to please Him, then do what you want to do. And that's actually liberating. You know, I grew up in, a, in a, a church culture where oftentimes you, know, you were taught that that there was one specific way you should go in every decision and you have to discover what that one specific way is. And that can just be, a—I a, a, mean, that's not possible. That's really not possible. God's not gonna put it up in the clouds for me to know. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna give me some sign. I'm called to walk in wisdom and that's a, a, a wisdom informed by scripture. So to know that I could delight myself in the Lord and then follow his word and the desires of my heart if, if they're in accordance with his word. That was liberating for me, and I think it will be for other people.
0: If I'm d- delighting myself in the Lord, I'm, I'm committed to His way and His purposes, right. is my heart still deceitful above all things?
1: No, I wouldn't say that that, that no. verse applies to that situation. Is my heart still deceitful in the sense that, it, that it's not a trustworthy guide? Yes. Mm. It's not the final guide for anything. I, I don't look inside me. You mean like emotions or experiences? Yeah, emotions, experiences, Mm -hmm. or even matters of judgment. I mean, Mm -hmm. Paul, for example, says, in terms of judging his own ministry or his own life, said, I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but by that I'm not acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Mm -hmm. So I have to even then know the limitations of my own perspectives. You know, I don't know anything inerrantly, unless I'm just agreeing with scripture, then that's an inerrant point of view. Mm -hmm. But left to my own judgment, I'm not inerrant but it's, that it's the same God who tells me that, that you're not inerrant, who has given me the freedom to make decisions relying on him. So I, here's my confidence, Josh, is even where I get it wrong, if I got it wrong with the right desire, if I got it wrong with the right ambition, God's at work, even in my mistakes, shaping me, forming me, molding me, teaching me so that in the final analysis, you could say it was a mistake, but it was Mm -hmm. a mistake that God had pre-planned to use for for His glory and my good. Mm. So I don't live paralyzed thinking that uh, I'm capable of perfect decisions all the time, and so I can't move unless I know exactly what I'm to do. That would be a paralyzing way to live. Um, Does the Bible speak to it clearly? If so, I obey scripture. Does the Bible speak to it through principles? I wanna take those principles into my heart and mind and make decisions in light of that. Have I accessed sound, wise, mature Christian counselors? Am I uh, allowing the church and its leadership to guide me? Mm-hmm. All those things taken into account, I make the best decision I can make, and I'm not afraid to, if I know I'm delighting myself in the Lord, I'm not afraid to walk in what are my desires. Mm. And then I trust the Lord that if I, if I get it wrong, He'll be at work even in that for His glory and my good, and in that I rest.
0: Does God speak to Christians audibly? So sometimes we hear people either in online sermons or maybe even family members say, God spoke to me. God told me this or that. Um, Can God speak to us now in the same way that
1: we read about God speaking to say the prophets in the Bible? The first thing you noted uh, at the end end of the question, or the first thing that comes to mind as I hear the end of the question, is the glorious truth that God has spoken. I mean, Mm -hmm. He has spoken to people in various ways. And one of the ways that He's spoken to people throughout history is audibly. Mm -hmm. There are times you read about that in the Word of God, where God communicated with someone in an audible fashion. So we just wanna begin, I think, by acknowledging that what a wonderful, glorious truth it is that the God who made all that we see around us, the God who formed our very existence, communicates with his creatures, communicates with man. So the question is not, can God speak to us audibly? The answer of course is yes. The question is not, has God ever done that before? The answer is yes. The Mm -hmm. question is, does he always do that? And therefore, is he doing that right now? And the answer to that question is no. God has not always communicated to his people in an audible fashion. The primary way that God has communicated to his people, and when we think about special revelation, so you can, you can actually divide revelation into two categories. There's natural revelation, special revelation. God communicates in a sense through what he has made. Psalm 19 talks about this, mm-hmm. how the creation itself sends forth a message every day, the mm-hmm. rising of the, and setting of the sun, and what we see all around us speaks to the majesty of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God and the order with which God has created so there's that kind of communication, but none of that is enough to let us know who God is or to tell us what happened to the world, why it is in the state that it's in, or how one is to be saved. All of that required special revelation. Mm-hmm. And the primary way that God has communicated to us in that realm is through scripture. So what's clear when you look at the Old and New Testaments is when God is giving scripture in those, during those eras when he's giving scripture, he's, he's communicating in ways that allow for his word to be inscripturated. He has to communicate his word to the writers in some fashion. And so one of the ways that he does that is he speaks to them audibly. But once he has given his word what, and it's been inscripturated, that kind of communication ceases. Hmm. And then what we have is the finished product. What we have is what God has put into scripture. So the Old Testament, uh, written somewhere between 1400 B.C. and 430 B.C., when the last book of the Old Testament is finished, the book of Malachi, there's 400 years of silence Mm. where there is no prophetic communication from God. We have His Word. And then John the Baptist arrives, and once again now God is communicating in a prophetic way. The New Testament acknowledges this. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, It says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until john so the old testament revelation is what the people of god were left with until john arrives and he says since that time the gospel of the kingdom of god has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail Mm -hmm. so even as john is communicating god's at work through john even then he's pointing people to his word that has been inscripturated. And that's something else that I would want to um, emphasize is that once God gives us a canon, so when you talk about the canon, you're talking about the standard or rule of something, uh, how something is measured. The Old Testament, 39 books, the New Testament, 27 books. Once God gives us the canon, as he's doing that, as he's bringing it into being, the the next stage so we have the old testament canon now god's giving the new testament as the new testament's coming into being what god in scripture becomes the test of everything delivered by god prophetically hmm. so even as the new testament was coming into being people were being measured by what has already been revealed so god is still giving new revelation but people are being te- that revelation is being tested by what has already been revealed john is a prophet but the, the law is the standard as John is prophesying. People are pointed to the law in a way similar to that. In 1 Corinthians 14, God is still giving new revelation. The New Testament is not yet complete. And here is Paul writing to the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Hmm. So even during this, this time, New Testament coming into being, so you have prophets still functioning, the apostles are on the scene, God is communicating through prophetic messages that are verbal in nature, you know, audible in nature, people speaking the words of God. Even then, Paul says what I've written are God's commandments. He recognized that what he wrote had authority. This is scripture. And so these prophetic voices are measured by scripture. And if their words don't agree with scripture, they're to be rejected, they're not to be recognized. So the answer to the question can come down to this, is God still giving us the books of the Bible? The answer is no. Mm. Just like the Old Testament came to a close, you had 400 years of silence that followed. Mm -hmm. So in about the year 90 AD, the New Testament is finished. Mm -hmm. And from that time forward, God is not giving any more revelation. The book of Jude anticipates this. Mm -hmm. We're told in the book of Jude we're to contend for the once for all delivered unto the saints' faith. Mm -hmm. God has given us a body of truth. It is complete. And now that is the standard. But I I just, uh, I'm amazed a bit that even when God was giving this revelation, what had already been inscripturated was the standard by which every new message was to be measured. Okay, two quick follow-ups.
0: Number one um, is what is the danger of saying God
1: spoke to me? And maybe what is a better way of saying it? Yeah, because we use that language sometimes, don't we? we the do, Lord yeah. spoke to me as I was listening to the sermon or mm-hmm. or I felt led to do something. The danger, of course, is ascribing to God what didn't come from God. Mm. The danger is even having a sense of confidence within oneself that you're doing what God wants you to do when maybe you're not. Mm-hmm. So everything is to be tested by the Word of God. If you if you think that the Lord is leading you in a certain direction or even if if you say, the Lord spoke to my heart in a sermon. Mm-hmm. You need to test what you think you heard by the Word of God. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon, Josh, to have someone say to me, like, the Lord really ministered to me today through your sermon, and here's what I got out of it. Mm-hmm. And then what they tell me they got out of it was not what I said. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you have to go back and say, well, that's not exactly what I meant. Mm-hmm. And so, so we just have to be careful. When we say, God spoke to me, everything is tested by a sound handling of scripture.
0: Mm -hmm. So you can faithfully say, God spoke to me, but when you say that, you mean God has spoken in in, in the Scriptures.
1: God has spoken in the Scriptures, and He ministered to my heart today through what has been given to me in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Personally, I wouldn't say God has spoken to me. I would just say, uh, you know, use some other kind of language to communicate what I'm meaning. That sermon today ministered to me. It blessed me. It encouraged me. Mm -hmm. It instructed me. I learned something today. Mm -hmm. That's much better. I think, than saying God spoke to me. Hmm. Better to say God has spoken Hmm. and I heard him today. You could say though, God is speaking today through what he has spoken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. God is speaking today through what he has spoken. So in that sense, it would not be inappropriate to say, God spoke to me. Just so long as we're clear in our own minds what we mean by that.
0: Well, when we read through the scriptures, we read about a God who is sovereign over all things and his uh, providence guides all of our actions and our ways according to the scriptures. And it seems that the Bible is firm in this, in this doctrine that God is absolutely sovereign. And it's his delight to be sovereign for the good of his people and for his creation. And yet there is this thing that, that kind of comes in on the side, which is that he also instructs those who would follow him to pray. Mm-hmm. And that he hears our prayers, our requests that we make, our petitions to God, and he listens. And that he will act, he commands us to pray. Even Jesus gives us a model for how to pray. So I wonder how you guys reconcile those two things. How, how do we reconcile the fact that we have a sovereign God who governs all things and also that we have to pray?
1: The sovereign God who governs all things has sovereignly determined to work through means. Um, and prayer is one of those means that God has chosen to work through. So. I could say, and it would be accurate to say, sovereign God provides the meals that my family enjoys every day. It would also be right to say that He's ordained to supply for us in that way as I go to work um, and earn money that we're going to use to spend on that food. He is ordained to work through the means of people planting uh, fields and harvesting crops. And in this way, he He feeds people. So God has chosen to work through sunshine and rain and all different ways in supplying for His creation. So in the same sort of way, the God who's determined to do what He's going to do has determined to work through prayer and prayer therefore really matters. I mean, if I sit in my home today and go, God has sovereignly promised to feed me. I'm not going to work. We're not going to the grocery store. No one's gonna you know, work in the fields or grow any crops. God's gonna feed me. I'm gonna starve because I've misunderstood how sovereign God has chosen to work the same sort of way, if I live a prayerless life, I'm gonna experience some spiritual starvation because that is not how God is determined to work. So that's Mm. one aspect of my thinking on it. The other would be, I think we misunderstand sometimes what prayer is about. Mm. It's not about changing the mind of God. Mm -hmm. It's about getting our minds and hearts in a position where we agree with God. We're actually praying in the name of Jesus. We're praying in agreement with God, his truth, his word, his character, his will. If we ask anything according to his will, we know we have it. So the goal is not to impose my will on God, but to pray in a way that agrees with his will and then watch as he works through those means that he's ordained to do what he has determined to do. It is the knowledge that God is sovereign in everything that actually fuels prayer. Because now the very one who has the, the all wisdom and all power mm-hmm. and is always present has invited me and commanded me to come to him and he promises to answer. So I'm not dealing with someone who may not hear me. He hears me. I'm not dealing with someone who can't do anything about what I'm asking about. He he possesses all power. I'm not dealing with someone who doesn't care. He's commanded me to come. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have assurance in the matter of prayer. So this fuels my prayer life. So to me, it's not a problem. It's a joy that Mm -hmm. we're talking about. Sovereign God commands me to come to Him and He's promised to work through that process to accomplish what He's determined to do in His world. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the key to that is seeing Richard's perspective on that is that God's sovereignty does not negate our responsibility right. and where people focus on the sovereignty of God and negate their responsibility, they misunderstand the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to prayer and I like what Richard said, lining up uh, with God's will. Well, think about it this way. If there's a sovereign God who's in control of all things and this sovereign God has given me the responsibility to pray And those things work together. I might want to know more Hmm. about the character and the will of this God. Mm -hmm. So then my prayers begin to come in tune with him. It's kind of like, uh, I liken it to when I was a child. I knew what to ask and what not to ask for because I knew the nature of my parents. Mm -hmm. So therefore I knew, well, that won't fly Mm -hmm. because it doesn't line up with their standards, their values, their virtues. Well, if I ask for this, that will fly. But I had to learn my parents in order for me to understand how to ask. And the fact that I'm to ask for what I want uh, from God, but in in tune with what he is willing to do, according to his character and standards, uh, it's powerful. So prayer becomes an opportunity for me to exercise my responsibility, but to learn the character of God and process to say, ah, my faithful, sufficient, holy God, if I were to ask for blank, this doesn't seem to line up with who He is. Let me rethink my position of what I'm asking for and why, knowing the God that I serve cares.
1: Mm. That's excellent, Nick. It reminds us that prayer is one way that God has ordained to sanctify us. Yes. So we're learning what God loves, we're learning what He cares about, what He approves of, and we're to learn it in such a way that, that, that we then love what He loves. Yes, We care about what He cares about. That's why the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails Amen. much. Right? So, yes. so there's a, even our affections are to be involved in genuine prayers, not just our mind, but our hearts coming in agreement with what yes. God loves and cares about. And if we ever wonder whether this is important, just look at the life of our Savior who devoted himself to prayer entirely through the night in some cases, before he made major choices or major decisions. Mm -hmm. So in every way, uh, we're encouraged to seek our our God in prayer.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us for the Straight Truth Podcast. And you can find more details about this podcast by going to our website, straighttruth.net. And there you can subscribe to any of our social media channels. But also be sure to go to iTunes and please subscribe to our podcast feed and be sure to leave us a review. Now, Straight Truth is a production of Walking in Grace Ministries, and you can find more details by going to walkingingrace.org. Thanks again.